Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder and executive director of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. You would open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 12, this is God's Word. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. The message today is how to live in order to please God. Now that starts with your aim. Years ago I was a pastor on Cape Cod and had a bunch of commercial fishermen in our church. and um, I, I learned some things from those folks that was very readily applicable to understanding the Scriptures. Jesus talks a lot about fishing. And he talks to fishermen about making them fishers of men. And I said, you know, the number one characteristic of a fisherman is not that he's got a boat, the number one characteristic of a fisherman is that he wants to catch fish. That's what makes him a fisherman. Everything else flows from that. Well, how to live in order to please God starts with wanting to please God. Is that your aim, or are you still a slave 
to yourself and your pleasures, living to please you. Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? Okay? I mean, the fact of the matter is, if I am totally self-satisfied, and I just think I'm wonderful and everything's going great, I, uh, I'm going to be in a heap of trouble when I face God. If my goal is self-satisfaction, I'm not living for him, and therefore there's no evidence at all that I'm in him. So, Paul writes to these folks, and he says, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. Point number one, you were taught this already. This is not news to you. He's writing to people where he's already had a ministry. And he's reminding them of what they've already been taught. He says, you were taught this. When I was on Cape Cod, there were certain things that were no longer a part of the cultural consciousness. When we would ask people, so, you know, do you have any kind of church background? The standard answer was no. Um, 95% of the people in our area who had any church background, it was Roman Catholic. But 90% of the people in our area didn't go to church anywhere, okay? So most of the folks didn't go to church, and 95% of those who did went to the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, are you headed somewhere with this? Yes. As a result of most of the folks being unchurched, when we'd say to them, so, you know, did, did your parents go to church? When you were, no. What about your grandparents? Maybe when you visited them, did they take you to church? No, didn't go to church either. Okay, so multi-generational absence from church had resulted in multi-generational ignorance of what God says. And people are just following their own appetites and doing what felt good in the moment. There's a lot of unhappiness, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of depression, a lot of problems on Cape Cod. Big drug problem, too. Well, as I began seeing people come to faith in Christ, and I'm seeking to disciple them, I, I discovered that there were certain things that they didn't already know, because no one had instructed them. They hadn't grown up learning these things. I had a fellow who called me, and he said, he was not a member of our church, but he was one of the many attenders, and he called, and he said, Pastor, I need you to pray. He said, uh, my girlfriend, uh, he said, I really want to marry her, but she just... Um, She's, she's resisting, and uh, he said, and the reason is because she says she just doesn't feel like she could emotionally bear going through another divorce. And I said, so she's afraid that if she marries you and it doesn't work out, it's going to be another heartbreak? And he said, no, no. She just doesn't know that she could handle having to go through divorcing her husband. I said, man. You're not supposed to be dating somebody who's married to somebody else. She said, he said, oh, well, you know, they're not together. You know, they've separated. I said, that's not okay. She's another man's wife. And he said, really? And I said, yeah, God is not pleased with that. He said, okay. He said, thank you for telling me. I didn't know. And he called her immediately, and he said, I'm sorry, I can't see you anymore. Why? He 
wanted to marry her. Yeah, but he found out that that would not please God. And so that was the end of it. That was the end of it. Because as much as he wanted to marry her, he wanted to please God more. You were taught this. I dare say probably most of the folks in this room on any given Sunday have already been taught a lot of things about what God expects. The Thessalonians not only had been taught this, they were doing it. They were doing what they'd been taught. They were doing the right thing. And so Paul writes to them and he says, hey, you've been taught what to do. You're doing the right thing. Just keep on like you're doing. Is that what he said? No. He says, you need to do it more. Okay? You've, you've been taught to live in order to please God, and you're doing that. Good job. Now, step it up. Get better. Grow. Learn. Stretch. Exercise your gifts. Become more and more and more of what God has called you to be. Folks, it's a great privilege for me to be able to come each evening and bring God's Word on these stations, and I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to do that. But if you listen regularly, you know that my life day-to-day is involved in trying to minister to kids who come from very difficult situations. I want to ask you to help us. Contact us at wvr.org and find out how you can be a part of the miracle. That's wvr.org. Please help us help these children. To step out of my comfort zone Into the realm of the unknown Where Jesus is and his Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God speaks through the Apostle Paul to say to the Thessalonians, you know what to do. You've been taught this. You are doing it. Now you need to do it more and more. And then he says, this is by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Okay? This encouragement to grow, to keep growing, to keep stretching, to do more, that's what the Lord is saying to you. Word Lord, not just some friendly title. It means he's the boss, he's the ruler, he's the master, he's the owner. If you are in Christ, he's not your buddy. He's your Lord. And so when he says, this is what I want you to do, you need to do it. You need to do it. We need to do it. Don't get stale. Don't get satisfied. Don't stop halfway to the top. Keep pressing on. That's verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 through 8. Let's look at them together. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 
Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Okay, let's break this down. We are called by God to holiness. God calls Christians to live a life that is set apart. It's not like the world. We're called to be holy. Set apart for God's purposes. That's what sanctified means. If you are a Christian, your body belongs to God. It's not yours. You are his. Your body belongs to him. Your time belongs to him. Your money belongs to him. Your relationships belong to him. Everything about you belongs to him. The fact of the matter is God's the creator of everything and he's the ruler of the universe so he can exercise his authority even on people who aren't in Christ. Okay? But those of us who are in Christ, we are not only created by him, we were bought. We were bought by him. So we are called by him to holiness, which means we're set apart for his purposes. And then he begins to apply that, and he goes on at length about one particular area of holiness where the Thessalonians were doing okay, but they were in danger of not doing okay. And that is the area of sexual purity. Sexual purity is an essential aspect of holiness. So note the emphasis on it here. Okay? This is not something mentioned in passing as one of a number of things that you need to be alert to. Not only is there an emphasis on it here, there's an emphasis on it in Acts 15 when the Jerusalem council meets and talks about what things do we need to tell the Gentiles who are coming to faith in Christ that they need to do differently than they did before. And there were two things. One had to do with dietary restriction in the context of idolatry, okay? The blood, meat offered to idols, that kind of thing, had to do with their making a clean break from the religion that they had been immersed in. They needed to break free from that, and they needed to avoid sexual immorality, okay? Now, this was really good news that that's all they had to do because that meant that stealing and lying and that stuff, perfectly fine for Christians. No! No! That stuff also would have to go away. But the sexual immorality part is special. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. I'm just going to read verses 18 through 20. 1 Corinthians 6, reading 18 through 20, this is God's word. Flee from sexual immorality. You know what the word flee means? Get out of there. Run from it. Jump in your car and drive. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 
This sin, he says, is different. The other stuff sin too. But this sin has a unique power and is uniquely evil. Well, you know, all sin's the same. No, it's not. No, it's not. If I look at a woman to lust after her, I've committed adultery in my heart. That's sin. If I physically have relations with her, that impacts her and her family. He talks here about not defrauding somebody else. What you do doesn't just impact you, doesn't just impact you and the other person. It impacts a whole network of relationships. And it brings reproach on the church. And so we're told sexual purity is essential, and he emphasizes that. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian. If you're not, you're going to hell. Those are your options. You know what it says here? Verse 6 says, The Lord, remember him? Master, ruler, boss, owner. The Lord will punish sexual immorality. That's what it says. That's not my legalistic interpretation. In this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. Why did he tell them and warn them? Because it's true. And he wants the Thessalonians to understand, you just can't do that and be a Christian. It's, it's not an option. Verse 8. To reject this instruction is to reject God. He doesn't say to reject this instruction is to reject God's instruction. He says to reject this instruction is to reject God. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And he not only bears witness to the fact that this is true, but he will empower you to obey God. Now the devil is a liar and the father of lies, and he's going to tell you, you can't change. You know, I mean, you tried, you just can't do it, you just haven't got the power. Okay, you don't have the power. God does. And if you are his, he's living in you, and you can call upon him. And he will empower you to do what is right. He will. So, we're called by God to holiness. And one of the clearest, most important manifestations of that is sexual purity. Don't let the devil persuade you that it isn't that important. Don't let the devil persuade you that God is not strong enough to give you victory. Third point, we must love all our brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 9, now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. 
Macedonia is a region. It wasn't a town. It wasn't even a city. It was a region. And he says, you love all the believers in that region. That's all the ones you know. It's not as if this group gets it perfect. These other groups, we just don't have anything to do with them. No, we're to love one another. We're to love one another. Does that mean we can't have any disagreement with one another about doctrine? No, of course not. But it does mean we need to, our relationship needs to be characterized by love. If you are in Christ, you've got brothers and sisters all around the world that you've never met. And we're going to be together in the Father's house forever. So we need to treat each other in love now. Paul says, you're doing that really well. And then he says, yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. (laughs) See, there's that good job, well done, step it up. Love one another more and more and more and more. Look for ways to serve one another. Look for ways to bless one another. Love one another more and more. And then finally, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. What's your career ambition? Well, frankly, I want to be rich. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'd like to be famous. Uh, so, you know, my, my ambition, I guess, you know, is to be rich and famous. <laughs> That's the American way, isn't it? Well, yeah, for a lot of people it is. Paul says, you're going to make yourself not only miserable, but distracted from what you should be focused on. If your goal is to become rich and famous, you're aiming for the wrong thing. What are you aiming for? Is it bad to be famous? Not necessarily. Is it bad to be rich? No, not in itself. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, but not just to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business. Now, does that mean there's no place for church discipline, no place to encourage one another to do the right thing if you see somebody's doing it wrong? No, you've got to balance these scriptures, but the fact of the matter is don't be a busybody. And to work with your hands, just as we told you. Chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, We worked night and day. He was a tent maker. He says, we worked night and day so that you wouldn't have to support us. Not because we weren't entitled to being supported by you, but because we didn't want to burden you. We wanted to be able to focus on giving you the good news, on teaching you to live a life that is pleasing to God, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Who's he talking about? He's talking about lost people. We need to be cultivating a life and a work ethic that will give credibility to the gospel as we are sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus yet. The goal is to do this for the benefit of others, and that will please the Lord. And so, 
you won't be dependent on anybody. If you get to where you can't walk, you can't work, you can't think, I realize one of these days I'll be getting my name wrong. And when that day comes, please don't expect me to make tents, because they would be prone to leak, okay? But I'll tell you this, until then, I hope to continue to contribute and be helpful. Not for my ego, but for the good of others and the glory of God. We need to live in order to please Him. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.